Hello, welcome to the Highlander Rewatched Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, I'm Keith. I'm Kyle. This is Eamon. So, for a lot of you out there, this might be your first time tuning into the Highlander Rewatch Podcast, and you might be asking yourselves, well, what is this podcast all about? In short, it's about everything Highlander. And this is essentially our own Watcher Chronicle of us revisiting and rewatching every bit of the Highlander film, TV, book anime franchise and talking about it in detail and the three of us love highlander we love the good about it we love the bad about it and we just want to talk about everything that makes up the highlander universe here on this podcast and we hope you join us every single week for it this week's a very special episode of highlander rewatch we actually got to sit down with creative consultant executive producer script supervisor and what many would consider the guiding light of the highlander franchise david abramowitz in a really fascinating interview We sat down with David, and we talked about how he got involved in the Highlander franchise, where the series is headed, and what Highlander has meant to himself and generations of avid and devoted fans. Thanks a lot for tuning into this episode on behalf of myself, Keith, and my co-hosts, Eamon and Kyle. Without further ado, on with the interview. So I guess uh, our, our first question is, how did you get in, involved in Highlander? Uh, we know you did a lot of TV work uh, previously uh, in the 80s on MacGyver, um, <coughs> on V, which is actually one of my favorite shows. I remember watching that show with my parents when I was a kid. Um, and yeah, so did, did you know the producers ahead of time, or how, how, did you, how did you get started working on the series? Well, I got called in. My agent said there was a show in syndication um, that needed a showrunner, a head writer. And so... Um, I went in for the interview, and I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, I came in on show number six, and they had five or six showrunners before me. Um, all had either quit or been fired. Wow. Oh, wow. And um, they gave it to one of the producers to hire a new showrunner because the folks from France didn't do too well, and, um, and some of the U.S. people it just didn't work out. And I went to the job. I went to the interview, and um, um, I met with Gary Goodman who's now, um, Gary's now the head of uh, physical production at Lionsgate TV. Okay. And he, um, he, we talked for a while, and I was going away to Montana for my 10th anniversary, and he said, we'll let you know, and they FedExed the script to this bed and breakfast in, um, in Glacier, Glacier National Park, and that's how I got started on Highlander. Wow. So were you and- familiar with Highlander at all before that point, before you started getting involved? Um, I guess I had seen the original movie. Okay. um, I liked it a great deal. And I'd seen the second movie and didn't like it very much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, And then I I got sort of thrown into the fire. And when I got on the show, um, when I got back to L.A. and went into my office, um, there was um, four days to the next show prepped and there was no script. And it was chaos. And I I came in at 7 o'clock in the morning and went home at 11 o'clock at night. I burned through two assistants and... um, one said they didn't want to see me die at my desk. Oh, my <laughs> uh, I needed a job. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I thought, okay, this will last six months, and then I will go on back to network television. And uh, six years later, I was still there. Wow. Well, we ju- we just finished uh, wrapping up our recording of the first season of episodes, and we-, we talk about you a lot on the show because it's very apparent when you step in. And I think we see mo- uh, your mark firstly on Band of Brothers is it's a real turning point for us as watchers as the of the show. Um, so did you, when you started on the show, did you have kind of any ideas of what you wanted to do when you were part of Lord? No, you have to understand when I came on the show and I stepped in. All I wanted to do was survive. (laughs) Um, It was, we were getting notes from the networks from six different countries. And when the people who sold the show sold the show, they sold a slightly different show to every country. To To the French, it was, ah, it's a crime fighter with a sword. To the Germans, it was a um, fantasy sword and sorcery show. To the Japanese, it was a show with rock stars. which is what they promised. So it was a very different show. And navigating that water and staying sane was, um, was what I could, what I could do. So in the, in the first year, um, just in the beginning episodes, all it was was getting a script out. I hadn't come to terms with what the show could be yet because I was just trying to survive. You know, there's a saying when you're ass, when you're up to your ass in alligators, it's hard to remember you've come to drain the swamp. <laughs> and um, that, I would, in the, the beginning, I was just draining the swamp, and I didn't pick my my writing team. I was put into uh, it was a rather difficult world at the time, but um, I had a good work ethic. No matter what was thrown on me, I just kept working and moving forward. I kind of knew. That if I got caught up in the political minutia, I'd never be able to, I would fail. Hmm. So I just kept working. I got saved on a show called Sea Witch um, because many of the scripts we were doing were written by people whose who English was not their first language because it was a French, it was in the second year anyway. It was so the, the writers didn't have a handle on the show in some ways, so there were enormous rewrites. The show was still finding itself and had some strange directions. So there was an, a lot of rewriting. There was no no backlog of scripts. You, 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 they burned through whatever scripts they had, and um, it was just getting through the day. Wow. Actually, this is something you mentioned that was really interesting. That it was pitched in Japan as a show with rock stars on it. We always kind of talk about the connection between Highlander and rock and roll. Did that really come from the fact that that's the way it was pitched to to one of the countries that was airing it, or was there an, another connection in in your mind? I think that came from Queen in the first movie. Mm. The Queen music was so much um, was so much part of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I don't think I could ever imagine Highlander without Queen's music. It's it's part and parcel with the mythology. I think. Um, you mentioned you, you wore a lot of hats on the show. Uh, I mean, you're credited as you know, uh, you're a writer, script supervisor, creative consultant. Uh, for those that aren't in kind of Hollywood or like those industry terms, what 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 exactly does like a story editor do versus a script consultant or a creative consultant? What what are the different hats that you would have to wear? This is a two part answer. Okay. Um, one is when I was hired, my title for the first year was supervising producer. And with, with, in my contract, it said that I was going to be executive producer for the next year. 
Um, I was the head writer. Um, I, I ran the story room. I did all the rewrites. I wrote a couple scripts, which were done in a couple days each because they were done in a bind. I always took the script that was uh, when there was no time because uh, to deliver. Um, and then in the second year, became a French-Canadian co-production, and I was supposed to get the job of executive producer. But as it was a co-production, they couldn't have Americans on the show with executive producer or writer titles, and which is why I'd written no episodes after that. And um, I was charged to rewrite the episodes. Um, and I was given a title, and I I said, at first I said, no, you can't. I'm not going to do this. You gave me, if we have a contract. And they said, we'll give you some extra money. And I said, fine. <laughs> so having having three children to raise and a home, um, I opted for the money rather than the title. Um, but here's the way it works. Um, the executive producer, generally the head writer is the executive producer. He kind of runs the show. He's in the editing room at last. At the end, he's in charge of the stories, he's in charge of all the writing. He's the last typewriter. That was partially the case on this, but because there was Bill Panzer, who was the executive producer, and Marla Ginsburg, I only did part of that. My job was really to help with casting and deliver all the material. Um, beneath that, there are various titles. Supervising producer, which is generally another writer's title, and then there's producer, and then there's co-producer. The years ago, there used to be just executive producers and then story editors. Story editors were the writers on staff of the show. Not freelancers. They were there. They were there every day writing. Then, as writers worked on a show for several years, they would, in their contract, they would say they get up to the title of producer. But really, they were still just the writers on the show. Writing producers, for the most part, are writers who have more experience, are high, have already gotten the title producer, and they get the title producer again. So that's the kind of. And then there's the the producer, which is like the lion producer. He's the producer on set um, who runs the physical production of the show. And that was Ken Gord and and Gary Goodman the first year, then Ken Gord after that. And if I'm not clear, let me know. Oh, sure. No, this makes That makes a lot of sense. It's good to have it all broken down like that. Yeah. I had a question. So it sounds like you were kind of thrown into the fire a little bit when you first started here. In addition to, you know, all the, the hats and kind of it sounds like you had to clean up a little bit. Was it hard to keep track? Highlander has so much minutia in the rules and the world it lives in. Um, did, did you have like backup on kind of catching up to speed on all these rules that probably would have to be adhered to for the future? Was that was that a challenge? No, I think that that's really the. But once you know what a writer needs to know more than anything else is what the box is. And if you know what the box is, and you can do logical extensions well, you can, once you can do the job, it's actually easier when you have a framework than it is saying, this guy is immortal, go write something. Right. So, so if you have rules, like no fighting on holy ground, like the fighting is one-on-one, except in some of the movies. <laughs> um, and, and, um, you know, and there can be only one, and the gathering, and all the things that are coming... Once you have those boxes, then then they give you places like Holy Ground, for example. That it was a wonderful thing to have Holy Ground for, for us, for the writers, because it gave us a place where the good guys and bad guys could talk. And you wouldn't have to say, okay, why are they not fighting? Why are they not killing you? <laughs> so it enabled you to do things you couldn't do in some other shows. So it just sometimes it was a very good thing. And it wasn't hard. Learning the rules wasn't hard. 
Um, and it just actually was helpful in some ways. So once the writing process normalized a little bit uh, and you were kind of out of that initial fire, uh, how did these episodes actually go through the writing process here well, once, uh, once you weren't scrambling so much? Well, it, I was scrambling on. I have a very small, most shows on television had a staff of uh, seven or eight people. Um, we had a staff of myself and two other writers. So that, um, so you, you have to come up with an idea for a story. And that's the beginning. And that is generally, you write down a paragraph that with, with the studio, with the you know, a paragraph or one page. And then you send out that one page to all the networks and the producers and, and, and they take their shots at it. And then you either do it or you don't do it. Very often, you know, you send out two or three at a time so that they could throw out one so that, you know, they could feel that they were doing their job. <laughs> um, and no, but that's just true. You know, the people need, when you hire people, when people, when, when, when the people who hire you um, and judge you, they need to, in order to maintain their sense of, this is why I have a job. And sometimes they have good ideas, sometimes not. And then you, um, and then they would choose. And then from there, you sit in a room and you talk the story. Um, and people have ideas, and you go go round and round. And I was the tiebreaker. I made decisions, and then and then someone would write an outline, which is about ten to fifteen pages, where you write every scene. You don't fill in all the, all the dialogue or everything that happens, but you give a sense of the of the dramatic thrust and the characters of the story. And then that goes out again into the world. And then everybody gives you notes again, and then you make some changes, and then you, and then depending on time, you start writing, and then you send it out again, and you make the rest of the changes on the fly. And then you write the first draft, and then that first draft gets rewritten in-house. Um, this is the way I worked it. All the writers who are being paid on the show sit in the room, and sit in one room in the first draft, and if you have a good staff, what happens is that no one, no one sandbags any idea so that everybody gives their best on the script, no matter who, whose name is on it. And then you, you do polish on that first draft. And then that's your, that's the writer's writer's final draft. And then it goes out to the world. And then all the networks and networks and studios and people on the rights, everybody sends in their notes again. And then you wade through the notes and you try to make things work. And then you do the best you can. And the clock is ticking because every seven working days, you need another script. And if you don't deliver the script, it's every day, every day you don't shoot, it's like a $75,000 hit. You have to deliver. And then you, you deliver the script and they start, and then, and then the actors come in and not in the first year, cause, but then actors become more proprietary, especially stars. And then they, they give some notes too. You give your line producer, or I, I gave mine. I said, listen, the actors can change a line if it makes them more comfortable. They can change the intent. And so, and any change of intent needs to come back through me. I didn't care whether they said something like, I'm going to the store. And they wanted to say, I'm out of here. I'm going to the store. I didn't care. As long as the intent of the line was still the same. Right. And plus the fact I was generally thousands of miles away from where the script is done. I, you know, I, there's some battles you can fight and some battles you can't. Sure. And that's the process. And then you shoot the show and then it goes into an edit, editing room and the director takes a shot at putting it together. And then, then you take your shot at putting it together. And that's the way it works.
Hey, fellow rewatchers. Thanks again for listening to this interview with showrunner David Abramowitz. If you haven't already, make sure to go to Facebook and like the Highlander Rewatched Facebook page. We're always posting really fun stuff ranging from pictures, episode trivia, behind the scenes info, video compilations, and the best part is you get to interact with Highlander fans from all around the globe, which is one of the coolest things about the Highlander fandom and Highlander universe. On with the interview. Um, so one of the contributions that I've read you had to the to the show was the creation of the character Darius. Uh, yes. Can can you tell us about how that character came about and kind of I guess and then to the the sad bookend to that story is that uh, Werner Stocker sadly passed away. And so can you just yeah. talk about uh, the creation of Darius? I wanted Adrian to have. I wanted Adrian. I wanted. I just had left this week. I wanted McLeod Duncan to have a mentor someone he could talk to because um duncan when when he was at his best was a hero but with holes in him like most people are you know filled with some doubts some fears some you know was trying to do the right thing didn't but didn't always do the right thing and um i wanted to give him a talk to mentor and i wanted to bring take the character back far away and give him an interesting backstory when I had originally written him, um, I wanted him to be a, a very unattractive character, so that you would first look at him and go, Ugh. <laughs> but, then, but then the character is, is the power of his goodness and wisdom. You would see past all of that. And, um, and, but the Germans, um, who, because it was a co-production and because they were putting money in, wanted a German character on the show. They objected to their, their German character being unattractive because they didn't think it play well with their audiences. So Werner Stocker got the job. Then, tragically, he had a, an embolism, you know, and he, and 18 hours before the show was to start shooting, I got a call at like 20 hours before the show. I got a call at three o'clock in the morning saying we have to rewrite, we have to rewrite the show. Uh, we're in a camp where this is after he did the first episode. This is when he, when he after the episode previous to when he, when he died. Mm-hmm. Werner um, is, is ill. We can't do it. And uh, you have to re- we have to shut down. And I said, don't shut down. And I, I went to the office at three o'clock in the morning and wrote um, like twenty-five hours straight, and we wrote the entire script and delivered it. And I was—we were worried that um, what's the name, the lead singer of the Who, um, uh, Roger, Roger Daltrey, yeah, Roger Daltrey. You know, he's he's only going to be in the episode for a couple of days. I was—I didn't know he could act. And then he came on. He was marvelous. He was absolutely wonderful. And we moved the, we just changed the script and it worked. So what trajectory would that episode have taken and that character have taken if he had been able to, to continue with the series? Um, I think McLeod might have gotten a little darker and he would have been, he would have been his moral core trying to pull him back. I think that's the kind of thing where we might have gone. Wow. Oh, I was I was going to say for for you, what makes a good Highlander episode? Um, I know the three of us have our you know favorite episodes from uh, um, the first season I, and many other ones, but uh, yeah, what, what to you is makes a good one? Um, what makes a good Highlander is, is it's based on an episode based on for me based on a moral question. Um, you know, someone uh, Steve Gagan, who was our who was our art director, production designer, two two years into it for for the first few years anyway. 
came to me. I finally understand what Highlander is. Highlander is a Talmudic discussion with asking. And I thought that was a great, I was very proud to have that. So that always stayed with me. And that's what it is. It's a question, a good episode has moral and ethical questions, conflict that's real, and a great villain. That's what that's what I thought makes, or, or magic happens with the character, you know, and you never know what's going to happen. So what then is your favorite episode of, of Highlander? Which is your favorite, which is your favorite child? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have a lot of episodes I like, and and I have a lot of episodes I don't like. Is it wrong to ask who your least favorite child is then? (laughs) I have several least favorite children. Uh, (laughs) uh, Bad Day in Building A. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like I, I didn't like the, the the zone. I thought was terrible. I, I I didn't like the episode. What's his name? Oh, the messenger. Oh, okay. I, that could that was because I had, I had great hopes for the episode and, and it didn't. I didn't like the way it worked. Um, there are some episodes I love for different. I loved episodes for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved the samurai because um, I, I thought it was an interesting the, the line. You, you can't you can't win honor with the trick and the whole story of how he got his sword. I thought that was, that was lovely. I think my favorite two episodes though, um, is, you know, it's so funny, you know, I just, this has been, it's been so many years. Um, the middle of the fourth season, I think it was, um, stay with me here. Uh, <laughs> sorry, well, we didn't I, mean to put you on the spot there. <laughs> okay. No, I really like something wicked and deliverance. Oh yeah, I really liked the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse episode. I thought that was a two-parter. Yeah, that's that's a great. Series I thought of episodes. that was, I thought that was beautifully shot, and wonderfully done. Um, I liked the one um, Valkyrie. Oh where, yeah, where where there was a great question, and I love the line. Um, James Jim Thorpe gave a great line in that. Wrote really wonderfully in that in the uh, in that episode at the end of the script and the whole question of. Uh, of is it right to kill a hundred today to save ten thousand tomorrow and or million tomorrow? And that's I thought was a good question. So in the topic of kind of questions you, you wanted to ask, were there any Highlander stories that you wish you would have had the opportunity to tell, uh, but but weren't able to for whatever reason? Uh you know, I I no. I mean it's <laughs> I don't I don't actually um there were so many of them. And as I said, we had a very small staff, and most of the time, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't an enormous time for reflection. Um, we just had to, if you had an idea that looked like it could work and you could sell it to, to the other folks, you just had to do it because time is money. What I wish, though, is that I wish there were more time. You know, I knew in my heart, in my head, what each episode should be. But it takes a long time. It takes a, sometimes you don't get that that idea that gives you a moral and ethical question. Um, how many angels can dance in the head of a pin? And then and a great a great villain and a good overarching story. Those things come. Um, sometimes magic happens and sometimes it doesn't. But you always have to happen. You always have to deliver. But I think some of the strengths. Highlander um, was that we got very lucky in some, with some of our casting. I think that Elizabeth Grayson as Amanda was perfect casting. She was wonderful. She had charm. She, she, you know, she was beautiful. 
She was funny. She she had everything. I thought um, when we moved Jim Burns and into a, into a blues club and let him be who he is. And I love Jim. I mean, but that was a wonderful thing to do. I thought when we um, when we got Peter Winfield to play Mythos and created a character who was the ant- antithesis of Darius, which was a character who was really really old and had been through so many so many so many lives that he just come down he just came down to one thing which was shit happens and i'm going to try to survive you know which which was an interesting take on a character who who was around longer than everyone else right you know i loved some i loved some other episodes because i thought they were beautiful physically i thought the the one about Lord Byron was interesting. There were lots of good episodes. And some, I think about 20 of the episodes were really, really good. I think about, I think 20%, about 60% were, were good, about 10% were pretty good, and I think about maybe 5% were not good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not a bad track record, though. That's, a, that's what most shows would, could hope for. Well, that's me, but that, but I, I am you know I'm totally I'm totally biased, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to live forever? How would you play the game? What would it be like to be immortal? These are questions we tackle each and every week on Highlander Rewatch, and we want to hear from you. Next week, our question is: What's so special about the original Highlander movie? Write us at HighlanderRewatched at gmail.com and tell us in 30 words or less what makes the original Highlander motion picture so special. Join us next week as we discuss the first film in the Highlander franchise. We'll tell you what we think makes the original movie so special and we'll share the best reader responses we get on air. Make sure to write us at HighlanderRewatched at gmail.com to tell us in 30 words or less what makes the original Highlander film so special. Um, you mentioned uh, Joe Dawson coming on to the, or excuse me, Jim Burns as Joe Dawson right. coming on. Right. Who who came up with the idea for the Watchers? Because that's a, a big kind of shift in the mythology of the of the show, and adds, I think, a really great amount of depth and dimension yeah, to I it. Think, well, here's what happened. I think Bill Panzer and Marla Ginsburg had a conversation. And they said well, we need to come up with another group of characters to add something to it, and I think they need to be. Uh, in the background, and I think we just sat in a room and we came up with Watchers. And I think it was a great idea. Jim, who was so totally human, so totally likable, he became, and then we, we wanted to build the Watchers, and I, then I created the mythology of, of who they were, why they were doing what they were doing, and how the organization was structured, which led us to the Hunters, which, you know, just gave us more story. And that's how it came about. Yeah. Just thinking about kind of human involvement in the show. Uh, one of the things we talked about a lot during the, the first season was kind of the, the involvement of police in the first season, which we kind of found, you know, is not as strong in, in later seasons. Yeah. Um, was there like a, a philosophical change in the, the writer's room about what the, kind of the role of law enforcement should be in the show? Right. I think, you know, Highlander happens kind of in a separate universe, in its own universe. And I think we pulled law enforcement, or I did, it was my decision. Because you couldn't continually, you couldn't keep years of episodes, 100 episodes, or whatever you're doing, and without the police seeming incredibly stupid. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
you, you couldn't do it. I mean, I couldn't do it. I wasn't gifted enough to create things where, where a sane person would say, don't you see it? You know, can't you? You know, how many times this has to happen before? So right. we just we just pulled them out of the universe and played the combat in secret and played the, the fear of what would happen if they became discovered, if they were discovered. So, I mean, that's that's the reason I couldn't I couldn't build credible storytelling. So I got rid of the newspapers and I got rid of the, the police. Yeah, it was definitely one of those things I didn't think about until the law enforcement was actually there. Right. You know, like I had no problem just kind of suspending disbelief that right. you know this goes on in secret. But right. once, but once the police are there investigating it, now I have a lot of questions about <laughs> how, how they keep blowing it. <laughs> Which is, it just, it just didn't seem right to me. It didn't seem smart to me, and I couldn't do it. I would spend so much time dealing with, well, how are they avoiding the policeness, and what do the police think? And I didn't want to do. The show was not about the police. This was not a procedural. Right. How under law and order. Is right. The show is about an immortal trying to survive in in the world and in given the combat and the and the pain of losing people, and the pain of and the pain of knowing that everyone you've ever loved has died. Is yes. there any extent to which that was a, a holdover from the movie? Um, kind of the law enforcement angle and how much did kind of decisions made in the kind of movie side of things affect what you had to do working on the series? um, None. I mean, I just, I just, they were so happy to have someone deliver scripts that they pretty much, after a while, they let me just run with the movie. I, I fought to maintain the basic mythology and then expand upon it. Like in, like the watchers, like the fighting, making it clear the fighting has to be one-on-one. And so that, you know, because it wasn't logical that three bad immortals wouldn't join together and say, "Listen, the three of us will kill every immortal around, and then we'll, you know, and then we'll we'll fight fight amongst ourselves." I needed to to really hit that home. Yeah, you you do ask a lot of really fantastic questions. I think that takes the series in a in a great direction. Um, you mentioned the movies. So after the series ran, there were some additional movies, uh, including an nothing, anime. I had nothing to do with them. <laughs> uh, do, do, you, do you have any opinions on them that you want to share? If not, it's okay. Yeah, I, I didn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, I think I just didn't like them. I think people didn't know what they had in some ways. And this is just me and my vanity. Um, but but living with the series for all these years, you get a sense of what it really needs to be about and what it's about. And it's not the third movie with Mario Peoples was okay. It was a reasonable, you know, it didn't have a strong moral question, but at least it stuck to the rules. Mm-hmm. The, I always believe that the TV series operated in a different universe than the movies. There were things done in the movies that were out of convenience in some ways that Warren consistent with its own mythology. And I believe it's very important to be consistent and not, not, not change the rules. Uh, I wanted to know, what was it like working on the, um, the anime Highlander feature, uh, search for vengeance was, was that experience? It, it sounds like you have some experience dealing with, um, you know, other, other markets. Did that play into I, the writing I, of that I, movie? And a life now working outside the United States. But, but what was it like? It was a little strange. Working with the Japanese director was, Kawajiri had never 
done any material that someone else had written. And we had an interesting, um, it, the movie, I was a little disappointed in the movie. I thought it was okay, but it wasn't, that wasn't totally my script. Um, it was, I got my credit on it, but I mean, mm -hmm. I wrote a lot of it, the basic story and stuff like that. And, and a lot of the dialogue was mine, but there were changes made and directions taken that were different. And I didn't know as much about anime and animation as I, sh as I could have, or I, they just hired me and, and because I did the series and knew the series. Um, but, um, I remember a meeting with Kawajiri and I was in, I was in Japan and I had no idea of what working with. The Japanese was like, and it was very different. It was very, very different. You know, uh, Kawajiri was the lord of the manor. There's a different um, structure of, of how people work. And so after I got notes on the script and I said to Kawajiri and this group of people and to a translator, I said, okay, once I do these notes, because it was my job to make sure the script was, was appealing to, to an American audience, um, a Western audience. And I said, once I make these changes, and, and that we're talking about here on the script, that that is the script that you will make a movie of. It's translated to Kawajiri. Kawajiri and, and, and about four or five of the people on his side of the table start talking to each other in Japanese. They, after about 10 minutes, they turn to the, to the translator and talk for five more minutes, and the translator turns to me. She says, the director Kawajiri says, okay. So I say, because I've worked around the world, and I mean... I know that okay means different things in many different languages. Um, does okay mean I hear what you're saying and I'm, I, I'm in agreement? Does okay mean I hear what you're saying and as soon as you leave the room, I'm going to do whatever I'd like to do? Does okay mean I'm, I'm not even, I don't even hear what you're saying, but I, I need to get you out of, the, out of here so I can go back to work? I just need to know where we are, is what I said. And so the translator goes back to Kawajiri, and Kawajiri and the, his group talk for five, ten more minutes. I said, what does okay mean? After about 15 minutes, they turn back to me, and the translator says, director Kawajiri says, okay means okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, so how different did it end up being after you turned over those notes? I think it was, I think it was a lot broader than I, I thought it should be. But it may not have been because it was a um, it was anime, so it was different. And I, mine was uh, just a little more realism. It was paced a little differently, and, and you know, it was a somewhat different movie. I would say it's about twenty twenty five percent different. Do you love Highlander as much as the three of us do? Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any major podcasting network the Highlander Rewatch podcast. Join the Rewatchers each and every week for a brand new Highlander Rewatched episode in which we'll go in-depth into another episode of Highlander and we'll even have more behind-the-scenes info, news, and interviews with the people that made Highlander what it is today. Thanks for listening. So, so with all these different iterations of Highlander now, I mean, there's been a series of movies, there's the TV show, animated things, comic books, books, all these different things. What do you see as the, the future of Highlander? Does it have, does it have a, a, a future? The future is very alive. You know, Lionsgate has um, uh, licensed the rights. I believe there's going to be a new major television series where they're looking for a showrunner now. Do you have any interest in, in returning to this series? Oh, if they let me in, if they let me, absolutely. 
But whether they let me in is a whole other question. Right. You know, you, you, you don't want the old guy in the room sitting there telling you how it was in the good old days. But <laughs> which is not, not what I would do, but, you know, people are proprietary. But in good ways, you know, they just want it to be theirs. So if they want me, I'll be happy to do it. If they want me, I wish them all the best of luck. Um, there's going to be a new Highlander movie. The director's writing a polish on it now with some big, big surprises, which we're excited about. I've written a book for the Highlander musical, wow. um, and it's uh, it will play. Um, I'm not sure when it will happen, but we have ten songs. An Australian company just purchased those rights, and we're going to try to move ahead. Wow, that's uh, amazing! Yeah, so is it like a rock opera speaking to the kind of rock and roll connection, or what's the style? Big, massive. <laughs> uh, it's the it's kind of. Um, Highlander as Les Mis or Phantom. It's that kind of show. It's a big, big show with great combat. Where with my take on Heather. Heather is 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 more in the piece. Ramirez is still there. Um, Castigar has a larger part in the play. Um, there's a moral and ethical question that plays in the piece. The Kurgan is kind of a more intellectual but as deadly and as vicious and as weird as he was but he currently believes that man's nature is is basically evil and that the natural state of man is darkness and he is just helping the world turn to that darkness by being the one uh, connor believes has hope so he represents the light and this comes from basically there was a in in the bible god said let there be light but that light was not the light of the sun it was ore that and that and that that ore is this what, what the word in, in aramaic is, means in, in hebrew is that it is the light of creation and that's different than just the light of of the sun and that light came from the darkness so what the curtain believes is that darkness was was the original state of man and he's bringing life he's bringing things back to that so there's an intellectual conversation as well as um the the incredible sword fights and big battle scenes and great great songs and a stronger heather you know heather in this goes from the village after connor and actually saves him at first and then well, I won't tell you anymore, but you're just <laughs> We'll have to get our tickets. Yeah, that mm-hmm. sounds amazing. Um, maybe- it, 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 oh, and Brenda is not, it's not the metallurgist person in those swords. Brenda is the homicide who is investigating these beheadings and murders. Mm-hmm. So we have a more open area for conflict between the, the two. It creates a totally different dynamic. Wow. Um, maybe just, uh, we, we want to just close out maybe with one more question, if that's okay. Uh, we just want to ask... <laughs> Uh, why does Highlander have such staying power, and what does Highlander mean to you? A couple things. One is, I think it has staying power because people would like to be immortal. But I think that it's that it is um, at its best a Talmudic discussion with ass kicking and fighting, um, and and it has uh, it has quint- quintessential parts of storytelling. It's a f- but a flawed but hopeful you know hero, so that women men respect him. Women love him and think, with my love, I can make him whole. That and the questions of what's the meaning of life questions add to something more than just a show about asking. 
So I think it, it gives people will talk people talk about the episode. Also, I think the flashbacks give it a, a totally different look and are a great reflection. I think people are people are interested in both all of those things. You know, you look at Outlander today, and you look at some of these other shows that are really big. People like looking, stepping into different worlds for a long time. So, so what's next for you? Do you have any other projects coming up that our audience might like to hear about? You know, I, I've just written, um, I've just done a rewrite on a movie that's called Full Throttle. That is uh, basically uh, Fast and Furious on motorcycles. Oh. That I, uh, I did a movie for China called Gifted, which is about a, a young man, a brilliant concert pianist, but lives a secret life, which his parents don't know about as a basketball pro. Oh. And so that it's a mixture of hip hop, Chopin, and Chopin, <laughs> and and, and um, so and it's a look at it's a generational movie, which I really love this movie because it's a generational movie, and so it's it's about parents, it's about young love, it's about hip hop music and Chinese music, and all blending together to this driving movie. So that that's another piece, and uh, you know I'm always out always out waiting and looking for work which is the nature of being a writer. Right. So those are a couple of things. I got a vampire movie um, coming, you know, that, that I've just written that I, in April, May, and uh, when I was hired to write. So you never really know what's going to get made and what's not going to get made. Um, it's an uphill climb. Right. But so happy to be doing it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk you're to very, us today. You're very, very welcome. Yeah. And we look I forward to seeing these projects. Thank you for uh, supporting Highlander and be on the lookout for the new series, Reinvention of the First Movie, which I think is going to be excellent, and for the musical, God willing, if it happens. Definitely. I, 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 yeah. I for one, am very excited about that. Um, and like I said, we, we just finished up the first season of episodes, so maybe in a year or so, if you'd like to sit down with us again, we'd love to talk uh, about some of the later episodes as well. That'd be great. Absolutely, positively. Happy to talk anytime you like. All right, thank you so much for taking your time out of your day, David. We we really Take appreciate care. it. All thank you, best. David. Thanks Take so much. Bye. Care. Bye, guys. Hey, everyone. On behalf of myself, Keith, and my two co-hosts, Kyle and Eamon, we just want to thank David Abramowitz for sitting down with us and having a really great discussion about the Highlander universe. Thanks, everybody out there, for tuning in. And make sure to subscribe to our podcast, because next week we are going to be tackling the first in a series of podcasts on the original Highlander motion picture. And that's going to be really fun to delve into. We're going to get into movie trivia, some behind-the-scenes info, have a lot of good laughs, and we're even going to have maybe some special guests on those podcasts, which we're really excited to share with the uh, Highlander community out there. Thanks again for listening. Um, On behalf of the entire Highlander Rewatch crew, thanks a lot. I've been one of your rewatchers. I'm Keith. I'm Kyle. Eamon. Bye-bye. Later. Bye.